there are some verses and phrases and songs that just just get you constantly, aren't there? The the idea of Jesus' buried body beginning to breathe is so vivid. Such a beautiful picture of that moment. And the roaring lion. The roaring lion saying that death has no claim on me. Man, incredible, incredible. I still remember as a child going to Crabapple Baptist Church. And at Crabapple, one of the things they, they taught us, this is really the only thing I remember they taught us. I'm sure they, remember, they taught us much more, but I, I was four, I believe, when we left there and went to a, a church in my, the town I grew up in. But one of the things that they taught us was a little ditty about the church. And I've got a feeling that a lot of you know the same same little catchy jingle, right? And it has a hand motion. You know it? Some of you are already there with me, right? Here we go. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. And what? There are the people. Yeah. Mary Lou's all over. She teaches children's choir, right? Standard, right? Now, I, I told first service, as a, as a child, I, was, I, I must have been a prophet and didn't know it or something because I, I switched it up and did this. Here's a church, here's a steeple, open the door, and where'd all the people go, right? Maybe that was the pandemic of coming, and I just didn't know it as a child. I don't know. I thought that was funny as a kid. You know, it's a, it's a catchy little ditty, catchy little jingle, but it's not accurate, is it? It's not accurate. Because why? We know that the church is not the building. The church is the people, the people of God. So the pandemic brought to mind and, and it taught us, reminded us of how much we love one another. It reminded us that we're not saved to, to worship a building. We're saved and brought into a community of believers. We miss the laughter. We miss the hugs. We miss the, the teaching. We miss the, the worship as we come together. We miss those things. We missed one another. I, I was here along with the other pastors Sometimes five, six days a week. But the church wasn't here. It wasn't the same because I don't come here for a building. I don't come here to look at these nice tan walls and the pretty rock and the mantle or the foyer. I don't come to look at those things. Like you, I come to worship our God. I come to gather with His people. I come to be encouraged and to build others up. I come to be spurred on towards love and good deeds, just like you. And the pandemic has reminded us of that. We're beginning a, a series today on the church, and the series is called God's People, Loving One Another, or Loving God, Loving One Another, Reaching the World. It, it's the three statements that are on the wall outside in our foyer. The, the three statements that have characterized our vision, our mission as a church since 2006 and they will continue to characterize what we're about and what we seek to do and each week we're going to ask an important question related to that statement this week we're going to start at the very beginning God's people what does it mean to be God's people what does it mean for us to say that what does it mean to be called the people of God in order to do that, we're going to look in 1 Peter. So if you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, that's where we'll spend the majority of our time. As you turn there, I want to give you a little context to, to get us in since we haven't been in Peter. We've 
recently been in Colossians. Before that, we're in Romans. And just kind of so you know, the plan is to go through this study on, on the church and then follow that up by coming back into Romans and finishing the book of Romans uh, down the road in about eight or nine weeks. But for the time being, we're going to look at the church and what does it mean to be the people of God. So, so if you look in 1 Peter chapter 1, if you want to just kind of bounce through there to get our context, you see that, that Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, is writing to who he calls the elect exiles, or you might say the chosen pilgrims, those scattered about, those who have trusted Christ, who have been saved by Christ. Verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he has caused them to be born again. It is his work of salvation in their life. And then in verse 10, he says, concerning this salvation, you need to realize that this salvation is a, is a, is a prized possession. It's something that's been given to you that the prophets longed to see. They looked forward to it. They wanted to see it. They longed for the day that the Messiah would be there. And he says in verse 12 that, that our salvation is something that angels long to look into. They see it from a distance. Well, they haven't experienced the, the mercy and the grace of God as you and I have as God's people. Therefore, in verse 13, because of the salvation that we have in Christ, he calls us to holy living. He draws on Leviticus chapter 19 where, where the Lord says, Be holy for I am holy. Right? And he says the same thing in, in chapter 1 verse 16. It is written, You shall be holy for I am holy. So conduct yourself as such. Conduct yourselves as as God's holy people in the world that you live in. He then calls them, verse 22, out of that holiness, holy living, it should change the way we treat one another. That in verse 22, we should love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That we should care for one another. There should be something different about our community, about our unity, about the people of God, because He has saved us and brought us together to love one another deeply. And he calls us as such then to live lives for his glory, to put away malice in, in chapter 2, verse 1, put away deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and crave pure spiritual milk that you might grow up in your salvation, that you might mature in Christ. And so that brings us to our text this morning, 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 4. Read with me this morning. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now 
you have received mercy. Did you hear what he said there in verse 10? That once you were not a people, but now you are what? You are God's people. A a statement that that we could easily just kind of skim over and read past and and get to the next verse, but it's a, a statement with deep and rich significance and meaning. That you once were not a people, but now you are God's people. You are the people of God. And so we have to ask that question. When we start thinking about the church and being the people of God and what Peter says here, we have to ask that question, what does it mean to be the people of God? What does it mean? What what makes us the people of God? It's an important question that we have to ask because we live in the midst of of a land known for cultural Christianity. We live in in the midst of an area that, that casts a shadow of real Christianity, but it's a shadow that cannot save. It's a shadow that does not bring life change. It's a shadow that's insufficient in the light of Christ. You, you may want to turn back to me or back to Matthew with me, but, or you can just listen to it. The passage that, that Pastor Ricky read this morning is an important passage that we have to hear. When we think about growing and growing up or living in an area of cultural, cultural Christianity, we have to be aware of Jesus' words that he says in Matthew 7, words that are, that are honestly quite shocking, words that should come as a warning to us. In, in chapter 7 of Matthew, starting in verse 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he, he will enter. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These words of our Lord should cause us to raise our eyebrows. They they should be a warning because they, they, they should tell us that it is absolutely possible that someone could come in here every week and sit in here and sing and sit in here and listen to sermons. And never be saved. Because salvation does not come through singing. Salvation does not come through hearing sermons. We have to hear those words. I I, I recently read a book by Dean and Sarah called The Unsaved Christian. And I want to share with you a portion of of what he wrote regarding Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Hear, Hear what he says. He said, Jesus wasn't speaking about atheists, agnostics, pluralists, or secular humanists. He was directly describing moral and religious people doing good religious acts in the name of God. They had a collection of lanyards from conferences that would make any worship leader jealous. Religion was deeply embedded into the routine of their lives, which gave them full confidence that their acts of righteousness built an impressive resume, setting them up for a big payoff in heaven. They might have known religion, but they didn't know the Redeemer standing right in front of them. Consider the petitions that Jesus gave as an example in Matthew 7, 21 to 23 in our modern context. Maybe maybe they would have sounded something like these. Didn't we say grace before dinner? Didn't we vote our values 
Didn't we believe prayer should be allowed in school? Didn't we go to church? Lord, we, we believe that God existed, didn't we? Didn't we even get misty-eyed when we heard God Bless America sung at baseball games? We gave money to the church. Didn't we treat women with respect? Didn't we treat people that look different than us with respect? Didn't we own Bibles? Lots of them. Didn't we get our baby dedicated? Didn't we talk about how much we wanted America to return to its Christian roots? Didn't we uphold marriage? Didn't we speak out against culture? Didn't we go to the good conferences? Didn't we read the right authors? Didn't we have right theology? The problem is none of those things save. None of those things make us the people of God. None of those things. So what does it mean then to be the people of God? What saves? Let's look at chapter 2 of Peter. Peter says in verse 4, he starts out by saying that as you come to him, as you come to Christ, a living stone rejected by men. He, he makes an important statement here. The, the, the idea of the Messiah being a stone is, is, is rooted in the Old Testament. It was something that, that the Old Testament writers and, and Jews would, been, would have been familiar with. The idea of looking forward to the Messiah as a stone, you find it in Psalm 118, 22 to 23, Isaiah 8, 14 to 15, Isaiah 26, 8. The, these all refer to the Messiah being a stone on which God builds his kingdom and upon. Okay, It's rooted in that. But Peter gives a very important descriptor here. He, he gives a, a clarifying adjective to us. What is it? What do you see? It's not just a stone. What is he? He's a living stone. He's a living stone. He's no just a mere stone. He's the living stone. It's drawing on the resurrection of Christ. That yes, he was crucified. Yes, he was killed. He died. He was buried in a grave. But he arose and he reigns at the right hand of God. He is the risen Lord, and therefore, because He is risen and because He is living, who are we? What does it say about us? In verse 5, you yourselves, like what? Living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You are a living stone. What does it mean to be the people of God? It means that you have been made alive in Christ. You've been made alive in Christ. Ephesians 2. Paul says that he made us alive in Christ. Colossians, same thing, that we have been made alive in Christ. That our dead hearts have been made alive in him. He has brought new life to us because we have been born again. What, in verse 3 of chapter 1, what does he say? Here's that word again. Born again to a living hope. And what is that living hope anchored in? Is it anchored in religious deeds? Is it anchored in theology? No. It's anchored in the resurrection of Christ. We have been born to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The risen Lord gives life 
to his people. The people of God are living stones, living stones. But he says something else about Christ. He says that Christ was a living stone, verse 4 of chapter 2, a living stone rejected by men. He was rejected by men. Listen, that means that we don't gather this morning or any other week because Jesus is popular, because people like him. Isaiah 53.3 says that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Listen, if, if you're here this morning because everyone else does it, because it's the thing to do, because it's popular, you've missed it. You're here for the wrong reason. You've missed it. We don't gather because it is a cultural, popular thing to do. Cultural Christianity will lead you to do what everyone else does. And, and, and it may sell you a popular Jesus that you can wear on a t-shirt. But listen, he is not the Jesus of the Bible, and it is not a Christianity that is true to Scripture and that can save. It is a shadow, and it will lead you astray. You have to reject cultural, cultural Christianity. The people of God worship the risen Lord, the living stone. Not because he's popular, not because people like him, but because he is God. That is who we worship. That's who we are as the people of God. In verse 5, he describes us more. The people of God, he says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as what? A spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. It's this idea of the cornerstone, right? The cornerstone that was rejected is now the the or the stone that was rejected is now the chief cornerstone. He is our foundation. He's our foundation. All that we are built upon, all that we are founded upon is Christ. There's nothing else that this church is founded upon. The church is founded upon Jesus Christ, the living stone. Isaiah 28:16, which which Peter quotes says, "Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. And whoever believes will not be in haste. Will not be in haste. Or Peter quotes, will not be put to shame. It, it means that, that the one who trusts Christ, the people of God, enter into the rest of God. We do not strive about, we don't, we don't run around seeking salvation we don't we don't run around trying to earn something or merit something we don't run around trying to control everything trying to control our lives fretting about tomorrow we don't do that because we've entered into the rest of God we've ceased striving for salvation because we've realized that we can't earn it we can't merit it it's the work of God in our lives and so we've entered into his rest one commentator put it this way he said to commit my ways to him may not increase my success but it will grant me peace through the realization that my times are in his hands. That we can rest in him. That we can rest knowing that we, the church, the people of God, are made up of those who have built their lives upon Christ and his grace rather than our works and the ways of man. We don't trust the ways of man. The people of God are not the people of God because man has set up this institution, the church. We're not the people of God because we, we depend on works and the way things go and, and growth strategies and all that. That does not make us the people of God. We're not the people of God because of the sign out front. We're the people of God because the living stone has brought life to our dead hearts. He has saved us by His grace. 
and we have founded our lives upon him. He is the cornerstone, and we rest upon him, we stand upon him, and our salvation in him, it will not fade, it will not fall away, it will endure. Listen, if you are here today, and you are banking your salvation on cultural Christianity, if it's just a religion, you will fall away. You'll fall away. You'll veer. You'll stumble. You will not endure. He, he says that. Those who do not believe the, the, build, the cornerstone that was rejected, it becomes a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That, that, that is those that are religious. Builders who build, but they don't build around the cornerstone of Christ. They build, and it looks nice, and it, it may look great for a while. It looks very religious. Oh, wow, look at him. Look at her but they do not endure because ultimately they stumble over the chief cornerstone, the living stone, Jesus Christ. But friends, if you are a child of God, if you are one of the people of God, that you have been saved by Christ, you will endure. You will persevere. He will hold you fast because you are His and His alone. You are His chosen race, His prized possession. So if that's what it looks like, that's what it means to be the people of God, how did it happen? How did we come to be living stones? How did we get there? Well, that brings us back to, to chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. We have to look at it's such a beautiful passage, just briefly this morning, where Peter writes, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you know what this tells us? This tells us that our status as the people of God is entirely dependent upon God's work. It is God's work of salvation that made us his people. Peter exalts God. Blessed be the God of the, of, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. His great mercy. What has he done? He has caused us to be born again. And God works. God moves. And when he moves, if, if, if he does, he, he comes and he does a great work of salvation in our lives. God, God moves when he goes to the cross. He accomplishes what he sets out to do. Have, had, had Christ not gone to the cross, we aren't saved. Our salvation is not dependent on what we did or, or what we said or, or what we think. Our salvation is dependent on, on, on the cross of Christ. It is dependent upon God's work. It's his blood. His blood that's transferred us from, from what Peter says, transferred us from darkness into light. It's the blood of Christ that brought us from being not a people to being God's people. It's the blood of, cross, the, the blood of Christ that brings us together under the cross of Christ, that unites us in all of our differences. It's not that we think the same. It's not that we look the same. It's not that we have the same background. It's that we have the same Savior. We stand under the blood of Christ, and He has done that. He has brought us into the household of God with the saints, members of God's household. He has done this. It is His work. This is our common bond, the blood of Christ. 
Our common bond is not a political stance. It is not an idea. It is not a theology. It is not a social standing. It is not an economic class. The blood of Christ is the great leveler of all cultural issues and problems. It is the answer. The gospel is the answer. You've got to hear that. We don't need any kind of analytical tool or socially constructed sameness to bring us together. We come together by the blood of Christ. We stand together in Christ alone, by Christ alone, and for Christ alone. It is the blood of Christ that has saved us. There is salvation found nowhere else. It's the blood of Christ that unites people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation to be the people of God. We come together in Christ. We are a unified people of rich diversity and beautiful heritage. And we find sameness in our Savior. So have you been redeemed is the question. Have you been redeemed? Are you one of the people of God? Have you turned from your sins? Have you repented and trusted in Christ? See, Peter calls on Christ as the stone, as the cornerstone in another very important passage when he's preaching in Acts 4, verse 11. He says this, he says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, by you, the religious, the builders. And he has become the cornerstone, Peter said, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This living stone, this cornerstone, Jesus Christ, is the only name that can save you. He is the only one that brings salvation. It is found nowhere else. The question is not, do you go to the right church? The question is not, do you read the right books? The question is not, do you say the right things? The question is not, do you avoid doing this or avoid doing that? The question is, have you turned from your sins and turned to Christ? Have you placed your faith and your trust in Christ? That's the question. Scripture is very clear that God created us to be with Him. He created us for relationship. But we rebelled and our sins separated us from God. And the problem with that is, is this, is that, that sin can't be removed by good deeds. It can't be removed by being religious. It can't be removed by making a lot of money. It can't be removed by reading the right books or going to the right places or attending the right conferences. Sin can't be removed by any of that. But thanks be to God that He sent Jesus Christ who paid for our sins. He paid the price for our sins. And he died on the cross in our place. And he rose from the grave and ascended on high to reign with the Father. And his promise, what, what is the great promise, the, the great good news today? Is that everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, who calls and, and believes and confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. That's the good news. And we're saved unto eternal life. We're saved unto heaven, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. 
And at that, we're being guarded by God Almighty. Man, 1 Peter 1, such a beautiful passage. That's the good news. That's what makes you the people of God. It's not that you're a member of Grace Baptist. It's a member that God, it's, it's the fact that you've been saved by God. That's the good news. That's how you become one of the people of God. Is through salvation in Christ and in Christ alone. So here's the question then. If we know that that's what it means to be the people of God, if we know that that's how that happened, the the question that we have to ask is why? Why? We have our our nieces visiting for the week. And um, they're four four years old and and one year old. So um, we're kind of going back in time. And the Meadows house was a zoo at first, and now it's a bigger zoo. But you know, one of the questions I love about children that age, why? It's, it's an important question. We should keep asking that question, why? It leads us to find beautiful truths out. So why did this happen? Why did God save us? Why did God make us his people? Here, here's two very clear reasons from our passage. First, he saved us that we might be a holy, set-apart people unto God in the world. He saved us that we would be a holy, set-apart people unto God in the world. Look at verse 5 of chapter 2. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be what? A holy priesthood. A holy priesthood. Look look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We have been made new. We learn in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we've been made new, and we're to live as such. We're to live as the people of God. We're set aside as spiritual, as holy, as chosen, as royal. We're to consecrate consecrate our lives. We're to set our lives apart for the work of God, the purpose of God, the glory of God. It's who we are. We are set apart for Him. We live in the world, but we are not of God. The world. Our lives should look different. If you are one that you say, man, I am one of the people of God, your life should look different. It should not look like the life of someone who is not a believer. There should be a difference. Because we live our lives for God's glory. The second why is that we might proclaim the excellencies of God. We might proclaim the excellencies of God. Verse 9, that, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That, there's your key word, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There, there's, a, there's both a, a doxological and an evangelical side of this. There, there's a call to worship and exalt the Lord, and there's a call to tell about the Lord to proclaim the excellencies of Christ to him, to stand here, to worship him for his great and wonderful deeds, to declare all that he's done, all that he is, that he is a holy, omnipotent, awesome, powerful, beautiful, full of splendor, majestic, loving, merciful, good, omnipresent, omniscient God. And we could go on and on and on. We're to declare that to one another. We come here and we gather here to lift high the name of Christ. But we don't, we don't just gather here to do that. We then scatter. 
And we scatter, why? To proclaim that to our community, to proclaim it to the nations, that we would leave this place and we wouldn't just say, hey, that was a great time of worship, now let's go eat lunch. But we would leave this place and we would go into all the nations and we would proclaim that there is hope and, and hope is found in Christ alone. Hope is not found in anything that the world can offer. Hope is found in Christ alone. And we go to proclaim the excellencies of His mercy. To say, listen, I once had not received mercy, but now I've received mercy from God. I deserved justice. I deserved condemnation. I deserved punishment. But Christ took that for me. God showed mercy. Thanks be to God. To the praise of His glory and grace. We go to proclaim that. We gather and we scatter. And we have to be faithful to do that. Please, church, please do not only gather. Please gather and scatter for the glory of God. Please. I think as we close, there's two thoughts that I want to leave you with when we think about being the people of God. Here's the first one. Is that being the people of God, being a, one of the people of God, it means that I live daily as one loved by God. I, I live daily as one loved by God. It, it says in, in verse 9 that God says that we are a people for His own possession. God loves us. You need to know that today. It, it, it means that when, when you feel that you're of no value, that, that you remember that God loved you and set his mercy upon you. It means that when we see the division and pain in our nation, that we remember that God has made a people of every nation, of every tribe, of every tongue, to be his holy nation, his chosen race. It means that when we face the death, or the pain of death and the hollow despair of loneliness, that I know that God loves me, that the Lord of Lords loves me and is with me and cares for me. It means that when those who are closest to me hurt me in ways that I cannot express and I would rather not think about, I know that the King of Kings loves me perfectly and faithfully and without fail. You are loved by God as the people of God. But it also means this. Here's your other thought. Not only are you loved by God, but the people of God are known as those who love God. Throughout the history of God's people, that's what the call was to do, to love God. In Deuteronomy 6, Jesus comes back to it in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love God. Love Him. We are not simply the people who know about God. We're not simply the people who are theologically informed. We love God. We, we don't find it to be an obligation or a duty to come here on a Sunday morning. We don't walk around feeling guilty like we're being forced to share the gospel. No, we do those things 
because we love God and we want to worship Him, we want to praise Him, we want to tell people about Him because we love Him. We don't, we don't go about just living for a cause. We go about living for Christ because He ransomed us with His precious blood, it says in Peter. And He has loved us and we love Him. We are marked as the people who love God and are loved by Him. We are the people of God. It leads us and leaves us with a question that we'll answer next week. How do I cultivate a deeper love for God? How do I do that? If, if I'm one of the people of God, how do I grow in my love for God? How do I cultivate a deeper commitment to Him? What can I do? Can I do anything to do that? How do I grow in my love for the Lord. But before we go there, the question that you have to wrestle with is this. Am I one of the people of God? Or am I, am I just dabbling in cultural Christianity? Have you truly been saved? Have you turned from your sins and confessed Christ as Lord? Or are you playing a game? There's nothing, nothing that will save you outside of faith in Jesus Christ alone. So if that's you, I want you to know that you have pastors, you have Sunday school teachers, you have parents, you have deacons who would love to speak to you about what it means to follow Christ. You can talk to us in the foyer, in a moment we're going to stand and sing, you can come talk to me in that time. You can come by the office. Don't play games. Let's follow Christ. And I hope you know the great joy of being loved by God and that that joy is expressed in your love for God. Let's pray and then we'll stand and we'll sing together.